Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk. I am Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we are celebrating the Women's Business Month covering women leadership and the translation localization industry. To talk about that, I have Molly Norton join me in this conversation and discuss some of the issues, challenges, opportunities, and her own experiences as a woman leader. Molly holds an undergraduate degree from American University's School of International Service and an international MBA from Thunderbird in Arizona. She's a polyglot. Molly speaks five languages and has over two decades of experience managing global projects for some of the largest international corporations. She is the president of AIA Translations based in Dolestown, Pennsylvania. Hello, Molly, and uh, welcome to the Translation Company Talk. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to be with you. Molly, please uh, introduce yourself to the people listening to us today and tell us what you do. Um, my name is Molly Naughton, and I am the CEO and president of a company called AIA Translations. Um, we are a niche translation agency in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, just curious, what does AIA stand for? <laughs> um, my mother used to own a company called Atkins International Associates. Um, Atkins was her middle name, and it's my middle name. So when I started my own business, I used the AIA from her business. Thank you so much for that that background. So um, I do this in every episode. Let me ask you about how you got involved in the translation localization industry. What was the motivation and driving factor that brought you here? It's actually an interesting story. My mom was a polyglot. She um, thought we should travel the world and learn different languages and cultures. Um, in fact, we grew up in Canada, and then I went to high school in Paris and in Milan and uh, college in Spain and Costa Rica, and then went into the Peace Corps in Costa Rica. And after that time, I went to get my MBA at Thunderbird in Arizona, and this was, I guess, in 1997 or 1998, <clears throat> and at the time, the largest recruiter from Thunderbird was the pharma industry, um, bringing a lot of my colleagues back to New Jersey to work in pharma. And in grad school, I was known as the translator because I speak five languages. So when people no had, had yeah, when people had translation questions, I mean, I was never trained as a translator and I respect that. Um, but they, when they had questions about languages and things like that, they always came to me. So then when we finished um, grad school, I was back in New Jersey working for my mom and um, people would reach out to me and say, hey, you know, at work at this pharma company, we need to do a translation. So it only took about two or three years. And I was like, well, I should make this into a business if I'm going to do this for people. Um, and that's how it got started. Exciting, exciting. Now, uh, how have you observed things evolve since you started, um, you know, being in the localization industry, this obscure industry, if you will? <laughs> Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. It, it, um, I remember print, doing translations, printing them out and mailing them to clients. 
um, because I've been doing this since 1996 or something. Um, right. it, I think that it's technology. You know, technology is the is the thing that has charted the evolution of this industry for sure. Speaking of technology, what is your view of technology? I know it has changed things. A lot of people in our industry have fear of it because it might take their jobs away. So just briefly tell me, what do you think about technology? How it is going to impact uh, us as a whole, um, you know, in the near term future? Yeah, I think I think in the beginning, um, when they started talking about machine translations, um, maybe a decade ago, I was one of those people that was worried about it. But as as it has evolved, I think that smart use of it is intelligent. We have a position at our company that that we honor the humans. Um, so I try to make sure that the human is always first in all of our processes. Um, and I think that creates some security for the translators that work with us. We, we use the technology every day, but it's a supportive role. It supports the humans. And I think that we're, you know, all of our messaging is around that too. So um, it, it's creating less anxiety with the human translators. So, so what you're telling me is an augmentative tool uh, that helps humans do a better job. Yes, exactly. absolutely. That's 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 a very interesting and, and good perspective of technology, and that's exactly how I see it. Now, the topic that we have chosen to uh, to cover today is women-led language services companies. Given that you represent a company, you lead an organization in in this industry um, uh, as a woman. Please provide some background on this topic. What does it mean to be a leader in the language industry as a woman? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great time to talk about this, especially since it's October. But, you know, I, I think that the language services industry is a very woman-friendly place for us to excel and lead. But it's it's also an important topic because the same things that happen in other industries happen in this one. I just think that language is a softer skill and there's a whole lot of nuance that goes on in the industry, if you will. Um, so it's a good place for women to be. Right, right. And, and, and what... Uh, has your experience as a woman been since you came here? Did you notice that you know uh, you were given all the opportunities and uh, to in order to thrive and climb that ladder in this industry? What has your experience been like? Well, it's it's funny because in in my industry with my peers, I don't I don't have a history of negative experiences. My negative experiences related to gender have more to do with the client side. I think that I. You know, while there's increasing, you know, increasing diversity, I still find myself pitching to male-dominated boardrooms, for example. You know, that's that's kind of the environment that I'm used to, and especially in pharma. Um, so I do have, you know, 25 years of history of, you know, confronting gender um, issues. Um, but like I said, primarily on my selling side, on the client side. I guess we've made significant strides in, in gender equality and empowering women to lead. Uh, please share some of your challenges you've faced in our industry related to the subject. You just mentioned um, in terms of sales and uh, business development uh, outside our industry. What has your overall experience been like? Yeah, I, I I think it's mostly positive. I Prior to starting my own business, I, I had some interactions where, for example, um, my desire to get married or have children 
was something that people question, not questioned, but questioned my ability to do my job while I was. Interesting. I, I actually had an interview before I started my own company where the person, which is illegal, by the way, right. asked, asked me if I was planning on having children. Um, what was the motivation? Like, why, why would they care? At the end of the day, basically, yeah, it's, it's I, your life, right? Yeah, but it was a traveling position, and I think they worried about that. I don't understand the logic. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you shouldn't understand that. <laughs> I don't know how people come up with these questions. And in any case, this month, as you mentioned, is celebrated as Women's Business Month. And I think this episode is very timely and relevant to cover issues and challenges related to women in, in leadership positions. So please describe some of them in, in general and, and propose some ideas in terms of how we could improve the current situation. I, I think one of the biggest issues that face female entrepreneurs is specifically access to funding. Please elaborate. So, you know, as, as women try to secure funding, personally, I've been asked multiple times um, if I was going to provide my partner's income in order to secure credit. Um, and that that's really infuriating. I don't think that happens to the average man who is trying to start up a business. And I, I also think that, that it's a time that we women should be encouraged to challenge stereotypes and not cave into them. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, like I, I tell people, I, I can be emotional and still be decisive, and I can be a caregiver and still lead a company. It's not an either-or situation for women anymore, and I, I don't think we need to apologize for it. Help me understand the logic behind it. Why is that so, uh, especially given today's day and age? I mean... Gender equality is supposed to be something that we shouldn't even think about. It should be second nature when we're talking about these things. Yeah, I think that there's biases that that we all carry, all humans carry, um, and the the goal challenge them, to hold them in our hands and look at them and and really question the validity for all people, men and women. And it has to change, especially in business. When when we see that women are excelling in so many areas compared to men, and that needs to be acknowledged. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> you should go out and speak on this topic. <laughs> I have been invited a couple of times, but I'm by no means an expert. But I disagree with most of the notions that are out there when it comes to gender. And, and I think that needs to change. And, and one thing that I've learned over many years of working in this industry is that not two situations are ever the same. Um, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you've had to lead with a cool mind, a warm heart and open ears. So as a woman leader, what would you say, how you should uh, leadership should be carried out, and particularly during these challenging times? Like, um, what would you need to do as a, as a female leader? I don't know. I, I think that women are especially well-suited um, to leading through crises. You know, I, I, like challenging times, that, that's our thing. And we're, we're socialized to be caregivers in many cases. And um, if you combine that as leaders, um, we can project empathy um, while still, I don't know, steering the ship through rough seas. I just think it's a good time. If you look at, um, you know, women who are leading countries through this crisis, um, those countries have done better. They fared a lot better. You're right. And and in your opinion, do you think that which are led by, by women do you think that they have fared well in terms of, uh, I just mentioned countries have done well, but what about uh, companies in the U.S. in particular? I do, because I, I don't think in this time, like and I'm speaking about COVID, I don't think in this time that the only measurement of success can be revenue. I think that in this time, um, knowledge retention, human resources, um, asset retention are really important. 
And right. I think that women have women have done well at that. You know, seeing um, their employees as family, um, seeing seeing the net that they have to create that provides safety and loyalty. So let's talk about some business issues. I guess every company has a set of goals and most likely growth and revenue are two of the common areas of, um, of focus for them. As, as a woman leader, how do you define these goals in the context of empowering your female workforce? What, what does it mean for them? What does it mean for the male workforce? Revenue and profit are always important. For me personally, I have always believed in managed growth. Um, because when I started the business, I was raising young children and I, I wanted to have that balance. And now that my children are adults, <laughs> I continue that culture for the other women in the company. All of our goals have financial aspects, but they also have that work-life balance goal, a goal of happiness, a goal to support your families. And and that extends to the men who work with us too. They benefit from it too, because there's a respect created for that balance in our lives. That's very interesting how you defined your goals and, and how do these social KPIs are, are defined and established? Do you take into consideration what your workforce is going through, the current social challenges? I mean, healthcare is it's a major issue right now. So are these captured in your KPIs? They are. One of the KPIs we look at is turnover. Right. Um, because that, to me, that's a direct result of, of the culture of the company and the way that people feel supported. And we have extremely low turnover. I have people who work for me now who's worked for me the first week the company was started. So let's let's drill deeper into that because turnover in our industry is a major problem, in particular in, in sales and business development. So how have you managed to, uh, to reduce your turnover or your churn rate when it comes to your staff um, to keep them with you longer? Um, what, are, what are you offering them? Well, I, I, I think it's cultural. I think that I have successfully created a corporate culture consistently messaged that people come first. And this relates back to what we were talking about with technology. I believe you support the human. Um, you support the human translator. You support the human project manager. You, you create a team where the humanity of someone comes first. I do think that that's an extension of my gender in many ways. Um, and I'm not saying that men can't do that either, but it's kind of the way I run my household and it's kind of the way I run my company. And I think that the people who work for me have learned to trust that that's true. So that extends itself to flexibility. It extends itself to reward payments, consistently supporting people. And, and, and just, you know, it becomes like a spider web of support systems and people don't want to leave. That's that's really interesting and um, actually quite delightful to hear that in our industry, there is someone thinking like that. So bravo and kudos to you. Um, I would like to hear from you if you have somehow quantified that, uh, I wouldn't call it a policy, but that that way of uh, doing business. And, and ha- have you quantified it in terms of revenue, in terms of what it means for your customers? Um, do you see a difference uh, in terms of how your customers uh, treat your staff now that you are uh, empowering them that way? I do think so. I, I think that, I mean, quality comes first in translation, right? If you're putting Absolutely. out a low quality product, you're not going to have retention of clients. But I think that even our clients get absorbed into that, you know, where where the humans have faces, where the humans have lives, um, and, and that gets them to respect our process and our staff. They also feel respected too, 
and supported and real and seen. Um, and and it's not necessarily quantified, I don't think, but just like we have low turnover or high retention of staff, we have high retention of our client base. Do you think our industry is a good place for women leaders? And um, I know that women localization is a great movement. Uh, you know, they're trying to bring some definition in terms of this space for women. But how do you see this industry nurturing uh, leaders? I mean, women leaders. Well, I, I mean, I th- I think that women are well protected in the translation industry, and I I do think it's very common to see women leading LSPs more and more. And translation, being a translator by its nature, also lends itself to the work-life balance that women's women seek or need, you know, to raise families and things like that. I do, you know, women in localization is that movement to, you know, to nurture leaders, the mentoring that they do, that's important. This is a really good space for women, I think. Honest with you, I'm not very familiar with the gender-based role distribution in our industry. Is this something you're aware of? How do women in leadership positions fare out? There have been some studies done on the effectiveness of women leaders in this industry. Um, and I think all of them consistently show that women run the most productive and efficient LSPs. Let's elaborate a little bit on that. So what does it mean uh, that women do better? Is it because they um, they have a more caring approach to, to doing business or uh, compared to men, for example, who have... Uh, you know, a different mindset when it comes to business. It's kind of textbookish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I do think the translation. Well, anyway, my view of the translation industry is that it's a trust-based industry. So a client has to trust you, and you know that that extends itself. You know, so women tend to be, or and we're talking complete stereotypes here, right? But we're socialized to create that softer side of interactions. And, um, you know, managing hundreds of freelancers is kind of like running a household with, you know, six-year-olds in it sometimes, you know, everybody's (laughs) going their own direction, everybody has their own tasks. Um, But so I do think that there's socialization aspects that make women good leaders in, in this kind of industry. And remember that most of us are managing people who are running their own businesses too. Right. So so it's it has to be collaborative and it has to be respectful. Absolutely. Since our listeners, the audience is mostly language company executives as well as colleagues on the buyer side and language communities, please uh, talk about how can we get past gender biases in this industry? I know it does, it, you haven't experienced much of it, but if they do exist, what's the best way to, to deal with them? Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I do believe that most of it comes from client side operations. I think women have to be given um, the roles that allow them to rise to leadership. I think that's the most important part. Obviously, women mentoring women is important, but women and men have to open paths consistently, um, especially for younger women as they're starting their careers so that they can be empowered to learn to lead and then move on to leadership. So on that note, you mentioned that you've experienced more, uh, you know, biases from outside the industry, especially on the client side. Is there a specific industry um, that you would say is more prone to biases versus other ones? For example, if we are selling to um, an engineering industry or a pharmaceutical industry, which one, or maybe something else, do you notice that there's more biases and, and there's discrimination of sorts happening, which probably lag behind in terms of, you know, getting up to date with, with what, what's been going on in the world? Yeah, I, I mean, I just from the groups that I participate in, I think that, you know, IT, like tech, 
um, industries have a lot of um, gender disparity. In pharma, in the 25 years I've been in the pharmaceutical industry, it went from being pretty much there was might be one woman in the room to there being a lot more women in the room, which feels really good. Um, but I, I'm frequently bidding, you know, against um, men. Um, and I, I've not had the experience of my gender coming into it, but I'm sure that it has. I just haven't seen it directly, you know, or, or come up against it directly. You just uh, briefly talked about uh, uh, mentorship uh, in this industry by women uh, for women. So have you been involved in this? Have you uh, mentored uh, other women? And, and how has that experience been? Talk to us about how do you see mentorship? Uh, to me, mentorship is is really crucial, really important. I you know, myself have benefited from it and and had really powerful relationships with other women who had the kind of success that I wanted to have um, and hearing their path and their strategies is really important. There are a lot of groups out there. Um, I participate in most of the ones I participate in are my industry. So my target in- industry, pharmaceuticals, right. um, groups for women. Um, and, and that's really great for me because it gets me around other women who are who are maybe they're not working on translations, but they're women who are in that industry trying to um, find different paths to not only to lead but to balance their lives. And uh, is is your company open to mentorship, or do you do that at a personal level? If if someone approaches you and say, "I I need help. Uh, can you help me as a leader? Um, provide me some direction." Both, both. <laughs> I the company is, and so am I. I mean, I one of the things that I do, you know, in my free time is is to try to be around younger women like students high school students or college students and empower them but also they empower me like it's it's crazy to see this next generation of women you know they don't have they don't have these experiences they sound like you they don't know what i'm talking about (laughs) i'm complete novice in this series so apologies for that so uh, how is women-led language translation company different than one that is led by a man i mean basic things such as employee perception creditor bias and so on are some of the things that come to mind, as you just mentioned earlier, like uh, when it comes to funding and so on. Uh, as I heard stories from other industries, do we experience these issues here as well? I was reading, I think it was a, a gala study um, that said that two-thirds of all language professionals are women. And translation companies that are run by women generate 37% more revenue per employee. And in the same study, at the same time, those women who lead the LSPs earn 18% less than men in the same roles. That does not make sense. Yeah, I, I, it's not it's not my personal experience, but I, I you know, I, I read the studies and it's like, wow, 18% less, yet the companies are 37% more. Well, it has to be relative and it has to be proportional to, you know, the if a woman is able to produce that much more productivity in a company, then I think compensation should be reflective of that. Yeah, it's not the case. And and is it something that you've at any stage while you were in the localization industry or uh, you haven't seen it because you've been basically in the driver's seat most of the time yourself? Yeah, I mean, I've been I'm self-employed. Um, and I will tell you that the women who work for me do not earn less than the men. <laughs> I make well, that sure that sense. happens. 
<laughs> what type of women leaders you do you have in your organization, like under you that you're trying to to develop over time? Yeah, I mean, I I have people who okay, we're eighty five percent female in our management in our project management, and I consider all of them to be people that I'm trying to develop into you know, different levels of leadership. I, I think if you were interviewing them, they would tell you that that this workplace is one where they are free to push the boundaries and try new things and and gender is not does not play a role at all. How be having that, you know, that that proportion of uh, women leaders in your organization uh, what does that mean for your clients? What do they get in terms of value? Uh, it, it, do they even notice a difference or um, maybe they're getting value that they don't realize, which is above and beyond what other organizations give them? Yeah, I'm not sure if they realize the value. I mean, I'm sure they realize they interact with a lot of women, but I don't know if they recognize the value. And we certainly haven't promoted the value that we offer based on gender. Um, we we sell the things I talked about that are produced right. by gender, but we don't sell it as a gender related thing. I think that, I think that we're selling, um, you know, we position ourselves based on, on those things that women create in the situation. You know, um, I don't think that I'm, I'm not sure if I can answer why we haven't, um, you know, specifically spoken about gender diversity. I, I do know that we we do talk a lot about being a woman-owned business, and that is important to our clients. That makes sense. So, uh, Molly, let's uh, shift gears uh, a little here. The whole world is going through many kinds of transitions, uh, whether it's related to COVID, um, AI, artificial intelligence, and improvement and equity in so many ways, like for race, gender, and so on. How do you foresee the landscape shaping for women in the language industry? Oh, we just we just were talking about uh, women-led nations during COVID. Of course. Um, I, I think it, there was an article in the New York Times recently, and they were talking about um, this thing about women-led nations and stuff like that. And um, their determination was that women aren't bound by typical masculine views of strong leadership and can therefore adopt a more measured and cautious and thoughtful response. Um, and I think that it is important for women to consider as we work through these transitions that there's not only one way to lead powerfully. And, you know, it, it, addressing the AI issue again, it, it's influential. It's, it's an influential part um, of the business. But like I said, we humans come first. Women bring that human touch um, to their leadership. Absolutely. So speaking of AI, I mean, uh, we were just talking about biases. Uh, AI is right now, or the, the, the flavor of AI for our industry is based on experience, based on data. So the more data we feed it, the more it gets better. Unfortunately, the data that comes in, uh, most of most of it was developed between 1950s and now, and and it's probably full of all kinds of biases, whether it's race related or gender related, and so on. So when we train our language engines based on that data, don't you see that there is a risk that AI will start to discriminate against people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they people have written really amazing articles about that, and it is happening. Um, and there there are training trainings available for translators to catch and override those flaws in the AI. And uh, uh, unfortunately, in some industries where they do not want to have uh, a translator or 
that human in the loop, uh, that means that the professional, for example, um, a doctor using the AI to 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 study or to translate a document related to, for example, abortion, he might get something that's completely biased uh, towards a specific gender, given the fact that the data came from a country where there is a, a certain way of dealing with this specific topic. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we address that? How do we make sure that these, uh, you know, engines are not biased? Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think that people like you and I, we have a role and an obligation because we tend to be in the position of stewardship. And that's a responsibility of an LSP in general. You know, you have to have awareness about this and you have to to continue to message as a steward and create awareness to the users of this AI, you know, that, that these things can happen and will happen and do happen. But I, I do see a lot of um, movement on this topic. You know, a lot of people becoming increasingly aware of it and how dangerous it is because all the work done, you know, consciously undoing implicit bias, then an AI comes in and read, you know, <laughs> puts it all to bed again. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I do trust people. You know, I think that people will see this and call it out and work on it. I know that there are certain uh, privileges and incentives for women owned organizations and certain contracts and bids are these helpful at all to promote gender equity and equality? I mean, there there are certainly benefits to those certifications. Diversity initiatives on client side, you know, require them to use certain type of suppliers. So I, I do definitely believe that these programs are crucial to ensuring equity. And, and that said, what can we do um, as leaders in our organizations to, to bring the same degree of assistance and uh, motivation to women who want to work for us as, as vendors, as translators, as, as suppliers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a, a translation company needs to have a recruitment plan in place. You know, you need, you need to actively recruit with diversity in mind. And, and that's intentional. It doesn't just happen. And, and do you see that our industry um, has addressed the issue of diversity well enough? I mean, I do think, for example, the ATA, um, the American Translators Association, does does some good work on this topic. I don't I don't have a lot of experience. Um, like I pay people all the same based on what they're doing, not on who they are. And that is a commitment I've made. And I, I think that's something that we all need to make. And again, right. I, I think recruitment needs to be deliberate. Okay. So uh, tell me um, um, about your company. How is it uh, structured um, in terms of uh, the core functions and, and who carries them? Um, and as a woman leader, uh, how do you promote women to become more engaged in, in, in leadership roles within those core functions? I do not have an issue with engagement. And I, I can, you know, opine as to why that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, 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 I do think that when you free someone to do things they love to do, right. they naturally grow to lead. They naturally become um, you know, reach their leadership potential, their own personal leadership potential. So in in my organization, I mean, the primary structure of a translation um, agency is project management, right? Of course. But, but if you free someone 
to to do things that they love to do in the way that they love to do them. It, it's it's automatic. It's it's automatic that someone becomes the leader of this thing, you know. And I love the way it functions in my company. I love to watch people naturally rise into what their fit is. And we don't we do not have a static workplace where that is, you know, no one's no one's saying I can't get to where I want to be. In, in an organization I run. That's so good to hear. What do you say to those women who think they lack the confidence to lead in, in this industry? I mean, to, I'm talking about the localization and translation industry. It's funny, there's a, there's, I'm talking about studies. I read a lot. Um, there was a study, um, I think it was Georgetown and Harvard University that they did together and they were rating confidence in the workplace. And their studies, their studies showed that there were no differences found between men and women and their confidence in the workplace. And that what the research showed, however, was that the workplace structures and those implicit biases were the real impediments to advancement for women. And that we, we talk about women not having the confidence, but the reality is women do have the confidence. They just are held back. And what can we as a community do to improve, um, you know, these working conditions to so that that, that confidence um, becomes basically part of their nature uh, for girls? Yeah, I mean, I, primarily for me, I think we need to support the way women view themselves as contributors. I mean, that's the biggest, that's that's what I've, think is important. And then after after you support that view, you can empower them to take risks and create change where it's needed. Um, and I also think we need to encourage women to continue to overcome stereotypes. Like, we don't need to be afraid of them. We can address them and not be afraid of them. Yeah, absolutely. And how do we go about doing that? How do we empower them? Um, and and I guess everyone has a role to play, but let's speak about the leadership. Yeah, I mean, it's it's back to the mentoring I think. And, and also, you know, some of my greatest jumps in my own confidence, my own empowerment also came from men, not just women mentoring women, but also men who, who made it a point to empower me and to question the systems and the structures. And so we all, we all have a role to play. How have you noticed that the, the mindset change uh, for men over time since you've been in this industry? I just I just think that it's more common now to see women in power. And, and that's one of the things that happens. Even if we're not doing the actual work of questioning our implicit biases, when you see a person, a woman or a person of color or any anything in power making decisions, it's an experiential thing for someone. So they increasingly have the experience of partnering with a woman or the experience of being led by a woman. And and that makes change happen. And change happens from within, I guess. And and when that happens, um, it's a lot more comfortable to deal with. Yep. Agree. Absolutely. Uh, I think everything comes down to respect when we remove all, all labels, gender references and parameters. Unfortunately, I've, I've seen that lacking in, in so many levels and there is a blatant disregard to applying respect and business, especially by people in positions of power. How can we change that so can women can feel confident that they can also walk in the corridors of power within this industry and outside? Yeah, I, I think respect is important. But when it comes to gender or race or anything, it's it's even more than respect. Because I think we actually need to push ourselves to do the tough work, to be able to see those stereotypes and see the implicit biases. You know, and that's it's that's uncomfortable work on a human level, you know, to question those things that have been programmed into us. 
and then and then as a whole, as a collective, we then go work to undo the limitations that those biases or stereotypes have presented for women. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and do you see things improving for the better when it comes to these issues, including um, the biases you just mentioned? Do you think we are headed in the right direction? Absolutely. And it feels really good. <laughs> so uh, in the light of uh, recent changes in the social political um, landscape uh, globally, how do you see that our industry is faring in terms of, um, you know, having opportunities for women? Yeah, no, I, I think that, like I said in the, the beginning of our conversation, I think that this is a really good place for women to be. And when I mentor um, college students and go talk to them, I, I talk about this industry. Um, COVID is a hard time, okay? These are hard times. It is. But this industry is a place where um, I think we're protected in some ways. Language is a good place for women to be. That's, that's so reassuring to hear. What are your plans as a woman leader going forward? <laughs> I, I laughed. I laugh about this a little bit because I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that gender impacts my future planning. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, my plan is to try to continue to impact the professional lives of younger women. This is a side note, but I, I coach a, f- a high school field hockey team for two months every fall. Um, it's good for my head, <laughs> but yeah. the reason I, right, the reason I do it though, is because I get to be around like 15, 16 year old women. Um, and I really love that. And I think that that's, that's the kind of things I want to do. It doesn't have to be translation oriented. I just want to be around women to show them that we can do anything we want to do. We can be anyone we want to be. And I mean, beyond that, I, I had I was a really good parent and I plan to be a really great grandparent someday. <laughs> That's it. Let me share, share a story with you. I have a, a daughter. She's 10 years old and, and I love her so much. Uh, and, and sometimes when I talk to her uh, one-on-one, she raises questions that, that bother me that even at that age, they're thinking about biases. Uh, she, she talks about uh, growing up and, and she asks me uh, in which profession girls are treated better. Do you see that when you're mentoring these young girls, um, you know, through the hockey program? Uh, are they concerned at that age? And, and how we can take that away from them so that they come into whatever industry they go to with confidence? Yeah, I, I do think that that's um, normal for your daughter's age. Because at your daughter's age, she isn't empowered yet enough with her own identity. So right. she's trying to put herself into that you know, biased space, right? Where would I fit in to this biased space? What happens at 13 and 14 and 15 right. is that they start to, to feel um, a connection to their own identity. And as soon as that happens, they start to push back. So my encouragement to a parent of a teenager is to, is to promote the confidence in their identity because when they get to that point, like a 10-year-old is still identifies as your your child, right? Right, right, right? Coming out of that. By 13, and which is why they, you know, the terrible 13, whatever, <laughs> they start to be their own identity. And and I think that the, what we need to do with, with young women in that age range is to be like, yeah, yeah, this is your identity. Yeah, go do this. And if you have confidence in your identity, then all the other stuff falls into place. 
So it doesn't really matter. Thank you so much for that perspective. As we reach uh, the end of this, this interview, but certainly not this conversation, let me ask you about your advice for aspiring to lead and drive success in, in, in organizations in the localization and translation space. Like I say, I, I think it's a good a good space for us. When when my son was just younger than your daughter, I think maybe maybe like third or fourth grade, he um I had to go into school for some parent day thing. And he told his teacher that I couldn't come to like career day because I didn't have a job. And I laugh and I still laugh about that because I, I think I did it right. Um, Mm -hmm. He, for him to feel that I was always there for him and while running a company that has done extremely well, um, that's what women need. Women need a space where they aren't a good parent or a good employee. They are a good parent and a good employee, you know, they can do both. And it doesn't have to be parenting. It could be anything else. It could be, you know, running marathons, but you can do both things or anything and, and have that balance. And I do think that by nature, this business that we're in, it just allows for some flexibility you know, most times it doesn't matter where we are doing our job. Most times it doesn't matter what time of day we are doing our job. Um, and, and we get to define our version of success. And, and women need to remember that, you know, that, that success is not defined by someone else. Absolutely. Molly, uh, I'm, I'm very happy we spoke today. And I really enjoyed hearing about your experience and observations uh, in this very unique industry. I'm I'm so happy to hear that it, it has opportunities where women can can thrive and and hopefully everyone's taking advantage of that and and and, and trying to grow and become great leaders. I'm sure um, those listening to to you today were able to learn at least one thing that they can take advantage of at a personal level or for the benefit of their business. I really hope we can continue this conversation in future episodes where we can drill deeper into specific topics and subjects we covered today. Thank you for having me. As usual, I am reviewing three relevant products that listeners of the episode may find interesting and applicable to the subject of the discussion. Instead of products, today I will review communities and associations as well as website platforms that allow for empowerment of women and girls in our industry. Women in Localization is the first and default organization to be reviewed in this context. Founded and managed by a group of women leaders from the language industry, it has not just come a long way, but it has already made a great difference in the personal and professional lives of its members. To learn more about women in localization, head to their website. And for their vision and purpose, I rate them 10 out of 10. Second on my list is Lock Lunch, which is a global initiative for networking within translation localization industry. I think it is a great place for women and men to connect with people and share experiences. I have been to a few of these and thanks to cyberspace I can attend local lunch events held in any city in the world as long as I speak the language. Women can certainly express their concerns with colleagues and find mentors from these events. It is also a 10 out of 10 for facilitating opportunities. Third for review is LinkedIn. 
There are great women in leadership groups and events that allows for networking, education, and mentoring of women in many different industries, including translation and localization. While LinkedIn is a platform for business networking, it has enabled people to have conversations and seek support for their specific situations, and women concerns are echoed in many groups. I rate it 10 out of 10 for facilitating opportunities for advancement, mentoring, and networking. That is our up for today. I had a great time talking to Molly and listening to her perspective, interpretation of, and experience in this great industry of ours. She will certainly be back on the Translation Company Talk and cover many other interesting issues and opportunities. I hope you were able to benefit from this conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite platform. Give us a five-star rating and send us your constructive criticism and feedback. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.